Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. Greetings. Don't miss the point. That is the legal point. Don't fall for foreclosure scams from non-lawyers. They don't work, and they can get you in trouble. You can get reports from forensic investigators, but don't accept legal advice from anyone other than a lawyer. Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, August 5th, 2021. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. Another, another name for this show could have been Stop, Look, and Listen. When people think of courtrooms, most people are thinking of theater, TV, movies, Perry Mason some point in litigation where someone theatrically admits or dramatically admits to being a lying, thieving, murderous scoundrel. And it all unfolds in 43 minutes. That doesn't happen in real courtrooms at all in 43 minutes, and it rarely happens in real courtrooms at all. For the most part, and it certainly does not happen in foreclosure cases. Don't expect some high drama in your foreclosure cases, even though you are at an emotional end. Homeowners are frequently looking for both redemption and vindication, neither of which is the business of the court system, nor should it be. I know a lot of people take issue with my statement of that, but it is a fact. Homeowners should be looking to accomplish only one goal, saving their home, keeping their house. Keep your house. If you succeed, and many homeowners do succeed, they achieve what they consider to be redemption and vindication of their view that the banks are corrupt. But no court order is going to say that. And if you try to get a court to say that, you will be diminishing your prospects for success in saving your house. Homeowners, when they win, do not succeed by attempting to prove something. Because as it turns out, homeowners are the last to know what their transaction was really about. And they are the last to understand what foreclosures are really about because they're not lawyers and what is required for anyone to claim foreclosure rights and remedies. Defense lawyers who do it for a living know that the best defense is a good procedural offense so the case against the client never gets off the ground. Defense lawyers don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of the claim. They want to get into the ability of the 
claimant to present the claim. If they can defeat that, then there's nothing to de- nothing else to defend. In foreclosure defense, the point is not to prove that the case against the homeowner is false. In fact, the point is to stay away from trying to prove anything. The point is to kneecap the opposition so they can't prove their claim. They can't even introduce it. That way, you don't have to say or prove that their case is is false. Once you allow the case to be framed as one in which the homeowner must prove claims of fraud, the homeowner loses even though those claims are probably true. But the parties in possession of the facts, the bricks and mortar necessary to prove that fraud claim, are the very ones against whom you are seeking to prove the claim, and they're not going to release those facts. So people often ask me what this means because they're not lawyers. The first thing you need to know is that defense is actually easier than offense. It only becomes difficult if you try to go on the offensive to try to prove the truth of a particular matter asserted. So, And that means a fact. Every good, but every good defense lawyer will tell you that the more offensive you are in your defense, the better your chances at success. Sounds like double talk, right? It isn't. If you want to make a claim for money against somebody in a courtroom, then you're going to need to allege the elements of what we call a prima facie case against the defendant. Prima facie case is basically a, a statement of facts that complies with the requirements of common law and statutory law in stating a case. Them's the rules. You either have the prima facie case or you don't. And the very first thing in a prima facie case is is the identification of the person bringing the claim. So if you want to bring a suit, you have to identify yourself. That's the beginning point. It establishes why you are filing in that court rather than some other one and submits a very specific human being, you, to the jurisdiction of the court. Stating the actual claim comes afterwards, after the person is introduced to the court. So, for example, if I was suing, I would first need to say I'm Neil Garfield and I'm a resident of Duval County. I'm over the age of 18 and otherwise sui juris, which means a legally recognizable person. Stating the claim without introducing myself defeats the authority of the court to hear the case, even though the claim might exist. Those are the rules. So... The foreclosure mills are using the rules against you. Time for you to use the rules against them. If the defendant I'm suing brings up the fact that I failed to introduce myself to the court saying, I'm Neil Garfield, and I am a resident, and I am the plaintiff, and I am over the age of 18, and I am otherwise sui juris. If the defendant brings that up, then unless I have alleged or can assert that I will allege in an amended complaint the necessary ingredients for being in court, 
That's called subject matter jurisdiction. The case is dismissed. It doesn't matter whether the person I'm suing has breached any duty or caused any damage. It just means that I don't say those things that I have not flipped on the switch that allows the court to hear the case. Case is dismissed for lack of subject matter jurisdiction. There can be no court claim without there being an owner of the claim. That's why it's first. You must first have somebody introduced to the court and then say they are the owner of a claim because of this and that fact. The claim, therefore, can exist, but you need to have the right claimant present in order to invoke the jurisdiction of the court. So if I say I'm Neil Garfield and I'm a resident of Duval County, Florida, and I'm over the age of 18 and otherwise sui juris, and I saw somebody hurt somebody else, guess what? I don't have the claim. Case dismissed for lack of subject matter jurisdiction. So the claimant, the right claimant, has to be present in order to vote the jurisdiction. That's the second step. Does this claimant have the claim or are they just a witness or maybe just a a bystander not even a witness if abc company wants to sue somebody it must say we are abc company inc a florida corporation authorized to do business throughout the state of florida with its headquarters in duval county then it can say it can state a claim it can start by saying We have a claim. This is it. And then state the facts. If a trust wants to file a claim in court, it must appear through a trustee. Why? Because that's what the statute says. Trust cannot appear unless it appears through a trustee. And anything the trust does, according to law, must be done by an officer of the trustee, if it's a company, or by the individual, if it's an individual. So the trustee is required to appear through a lawyer, same reason, and the lawyer must say that the plaintiff is a trust organized and existing under the laws of the state of New York, for example, with its principal place of business in New York City, and it is appearing through its trustee by and through the trust agreement dated the 31st day of December 2008. So it names the trust, it names the trust agreement, says that the trustee is bringing that trust to court and introducing the trust to the court as the owner of a claim. Those of you who've been following me for years have already figured out what I'm going to say next. That allegation for a trust never comes up when it's a remit trust in foreclosure doesn't happen that they say that the plaintiff is a trust organized and existing under the laws of some state with its principal business place of business at some address and referencing a trust agreement it doesn't say that 
that allegation for a trust does not come up. It is because of incredibly liberalized pleading standards that would never be tolerated if an individual did it. And it is the inability of the foreclosure lawyer to plead or respond to discovery that will get you to the finish line of getting the case dismissed much of the time. In any foreclosure case in which securitization is referenced or alleged, the basic element of identification of the claimant or plaintiff is usually missing. This is often overlooked at the peril of the homeowner, in which case they end up waiving defenses. That's how lies become truth in the courtroom. Somebody makes a claim, you don't defend it at the right time and in the right way, it becomes the truth for the purposes of the case. Look carefully. There is often a conflict or inconsistency between the statements that have been sent to the homeowner, the notices that have been sent, and the identification of the claimant or plaintiff in the foreclosure proceeding. Let's take one example. Let me remind you that you have to read these things word by word, just like I said it. If you don't do that, you're going to miss things. You're going to miss the things that the investment banks want you to miss. And when you miss them, you lose a case. So in this example, let's try this. The first name you see is Deutsche Bank National Trust Company. Everybody calls it the Deutsche Bank National Trust Company case or the Deutsche case or the Deutsche Bank case. Is that the plaintiff? No. We know that because in order for somebody to be a plaintiff, they have to claim to be a plaintiff. And in our example, the foreclosure lawyer has named Deutsche Bank National Trust Company as a trustee and not on its own behalf. Since it is not appearing on its own behalf, it's not the plaintiff. Which makes sense. It's a trustee. It's the trust that it, that is implied to be the plaintiff. But it hasn't been introduced. So who is the plaintiff? Well, in our example, the foreclosure lawyer has asserted that Deutsche Bank National Trust Company is appearing as the trustee of a trust. Again, I caution you to read slowly. You will often see this example played out in real court cases. The ones who play it right win. The homeowners win. The ones who play it wrong lose. In our example, Deutsche Bank National Trust Company is appearing on all documents recently sent, recorded, or filed. And when it appears, it is always solely as trustee and not, acting, and not individually on its own behalf. It is appearing as trustee for a trust because a trust may not make an appearance except through a trustee. But that does not make the trustee the plaintiff. And that's where people make their mistake. The trustee is not the plaintiff. The trust is the plaintiff. This is important because if there is a counterclaim or an award against the plaintiff, it is not going to be paid by Deutsche Bank National Trust Company. After all, it was only appearing on behalf of the trust, not on behalf of itself. The illusion is that it is going to be paid on behalf of the trust, assuming the trust exists, which is a whole other story. But since there is no trust account, no such payment occurs. 
Instead, the company claiming to be the servicer appears to be the source of such payments in cases where an adverse judgment or orders are entered against the foreclosure mill and his clients. Most people take the money without thinking about where it came from. But if you look, you'll find it came from an investment bank through the company claiming to be a servicer, who, by the way, is not performing any functions in relation to the receipt or distribution of money. It is usually in judicial foreclosure actions that this issue becomes immediately apparent to the foreclosure defense lawyer. The reason is that it is only in the style or label of the case that Deutsche Bank National Trust Company is appearing on behalf of the trust. So the only place it shows up is in the label that identifies the case. That's like a file name. It could say anything. As long as it was, cons as it was consistent, you could find that file and put more things in it as the case progresses. There's a difference between the label, which can be ignored, and the allegations in the body of the complaint. But what the foreclosure mills do is they use the label as though it is the allegations of the complaint. In non-judicial states, those allegations are still necessary and required, legally required, but they are only implied because the party initiating foreclosure does not have to file a lawsuit. So the allegations are there floating in the ether because they are implied by the notice of default, notice of substitution of trustee, which is probably the first time you should contest, et cetera. In non-judicial states, I've often mentioned that this is unfortunate that it doesn't get, when it's contested, it doesn't get switched and realigned to a judicial case, which the statutes provide for, that's not a Neil Garfield invention, because without that, nobody could be prosecuted for lying. They can always say we didn't say that. In judicial cases, they're going to say that we never said we owned it. We never said that we were the, that we were the creditor. We just said we have the authority to enforce. That's what they would say if you if you pin them up against a wall and in a corner. In judicial cases, you will find that in the body of the complaint, the plaintiff is identified as a financial institution. So, for example, it's going to say that the plaintiff is a national banking association. No, it isn't. The trust is not a national banking association. And the fact that the trustee is a national banking association is irrelevant. Doesn't make any difference if it's John Smith, U.S. Bank, Deutsche Bank, or Deutsche Bank National Trust Company. A trust is not a financial institution unless it has received a license to act as such. Remick trusts are not financial institutions. That paragraph in the judicial for uh, uh, foreclosure states in the complaint to foreclose asserting that the plaintiff is a financial institution is a lie. But it causes one of two things to happen. Either the, the complaint gets dismissed 
or now they have to prove not that the trust owns the uh, underlying obligation and is paid for it under uh, Article 9, Section 203 of the Uniform Commercial Code as adopted verbatim by that state, but that the that U.S. Bank or Deutsche Bank or Deutsche Bank National Trust Company is the actual owner of the underlying obligation and therefore is acting in its own behalf and not as trustee, which means the trust is irrelevant. The trust is important for the investment banks because they want to give the impression that if the foreclosure is successful, the money is going to investors. But it isn't. The investors are just creditors of the investment banks. So REMIC trusts are not financial institutions. So when the complaint says that the claimant or plaintiff is a national bank as- banking association, it is a reference to no- Deutsche Bank National Trust Company, who is not the plaintiff. More importantly, look at what's missing. There's no allegation in these complaints that identifies the trust or any trust agreement. The trust has not been introduced to the court. The jurisdiction in which the trust was organized and existing or that the trust has any interest in the subject matter of the litigation, all of that is missing. It's implied, but they can say later, we never said that. In fact, if you ask any of the participants who cooperate in the prosecution of foreclosures, they will respond with, we never said that. And now I know this is all really getting into the weeds and probably confusing to a lot of people, but unless you understand the basics of what I'm talking about, your chances of success in challenging a foreclosure action diminish with each step as you go forward. So in our example, neither Deutsche Bank National Trust Company nor the named trust has actually been alleged to be present in the court proceeding. It has not been introduced. Deutsche Bank National Trust Company has not been introduced as the actual party. And the trust, although referenced, has not been introduced by way of identification as to its place of origin, organization, business, etc. Nor are they alleged to have any financial interest in the subject matter of the litigation or initiation of foreclosure proceedings. But the moment that the homeowner or the attorney for the homeowner fails to raise the issue, the presumption arises that either one Deutsche Bank or the trust has every right to pursue a claim against the homeowner. In fact, though, anybody who's been following this for 16 years with me, neither one is true. If you start to raise that issue after you waived it, the court will tend to ignore it. Not every time it's worth a shot, but most of the time, if you don't do it right away, and this goes for all objections, You've, you've waived it, and, and that's the end of it. Frankly, the best time to start challenging these things is the first correspondence that you receive from any company pretending to be a servicer. My suggestion is the homeowner start at the earliest possible time to maximize the conditions for success. Homeowners should immediately challenge the authority 
of the company pretending to be the servicer and the ability of that company to attest to the existence and ownership of an underlying obligation as well as the authority to administer, collect, or enforce that underlying obligation. Let me give you an example of how important this is during litigation. It's important because it's highly likely that it will get the judge's attention. Judges like settlements. They love settlements. It clears the calendar faster than anything. So when they send you off to mediation, there's a pretty good tactical move for you to ask for acknowledgement of the REMIC trustee to any agreed procedure or settlement or modification. You will never get that acknowledgement. You won't get it from Deutsche Bank National Trust Company. You won't get it from the company claiming to be a servicer, which in our example is Deutsche Bank National Trust Company. Even though it occurred during mediation, you have every right to bring this to the attention of the judge. And I think the best way to do that is through a motion for sanctions for violation of the mediation order and the administrative order that provides for mediation of foreclosure cases. The claimant is legally required to show up at mediation with a representative who is somebody with full authority. As some judges have said, it doesn't have to make a phone call. Full authority to negotiate a conclusion of the case. No such person ever appears if there is a remit trust involved. So an interesting tactic for homeowners is to reach whatever agreement is available and then ask for acknowledgement from the trustee who supposedly is the plaintiff. You won't get it. When you bring that to the court's attention in a motion for sanctions for failure to comply with the mediation orders, you will make the point that the reason they could not give the acknowledgement from the trustee is that neither the trustee nor the, cl the company claiming to be a servicer has any actual authority. If the court agrees, a motion to dismiss for lack of jurisdiction might then be a wise choice. Notice how in these suggestions we are never getting to the issues of payments or lack of them. We are focusing on the foundation of the case, which must be a plain statement of ultimate facts upon which relief can be granted to a plaintiff who is identified, introduced to the court. The foreclosure mill will be hammering on lack of payment, trying to skip over the jurisdictional issues. It's your job to bring it back to the jurisdictional issues. The other mistake that homeowners make is believing what they're told by non-lawyers, some of whom are well-meaning. There's all kinds of magic bullets out there that are neither magic nor bullets. They don't work. As the moratoriums get lifted, there's going to be more and more of these foreclosure rescue schemes, and you need to be careful about them. The best case scenario is that they simply won't work. The worst case is they'll get you involved in some kind of illegal scheme that could result in penalties or even jail. So let me be clear. Fabricating false documentation to defeat a foreclosure is not any better or any more legally justified than that practice when it is used in filing foreclosure actions. There is no goose and no gander here. Unless you are a multi-billion multi dollar bank, you are low-hanging fruit to prosecutors. 
That said, there are a number of legal documents that can be executed that might even that might slow down the foreclosure process or even give you an opportunity to stall or eliminate the threat. Whether it is recording interest in real estate or objections to other recorded documents or sending qualified written requests or debt validation and then filing complaints in court or with the CFPB, these things have an effect on the conduct of foreclosure actions. So the message here is don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I have a link on the blog for one of those foreclosure rescue things that involved falsifying documents. I know the banks are doing it, but doing it back to them is like getting stuck in a gunfight. Both sides, if they're caught, are looking for some kind of accountability. And if one side is a multi-billion dollar bank, they probably will have very little accountability. That's it for tonight, folks. Thanks for joining me, and we'll be back with you next week. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.